You're listening to the Winter Hughes Podcast with Joe and Eric Hughes. And now, here's the Hughes Brothers. Welcome to the Winter Hughes Podcast, a Bay Area sports podcast with a heavy focus on the Oakland A's. I'm your host, Joe Hughes, alongside my brother, Eric Hughes, and lots to get into for the Oakland A's. It was a very busy week for the A's, and we got to see something we haven't seen all season long. It only took 33 and 34 games for the A's to get back-to-back wins for the first time this season. Also, the first time that the A's get a win from a starting pitcher. It helps a little bit, Rick, when you're playing a team that's basically as bad as you are. The A's entered this series against the Royals with six wins. The Royals had eight, and then the A's win the first two games of that series. But you know what? It's sometimes helpful when you're struggling to be able to match up against that team and maybe hopefully take some of those skills you've been building and try to push it forward and like build some consistency, which is what the A's have been looking for so far this season. The gates are open now, so they're just picking <laughs> up W's now. That's two in a row, so on a streak. Going to try and make it three today with a, a nice clean sweep here for the Sunday game. So we'll we'll have to see. Um, and it's really good they did because it, it's been an eventful week for the A's and uh, started with an incredible outing by Miller who went uh, seven innings and no hits. And so if the A's hadn't picked up a, a win for a pitcher yet, I think we'd be having a very different conversation right now. It was just getting to that point where it was a talking point every game. It's like, you know, every day you would go on to social media and you would see a meme or like a new shareable stat that the A's have gone another day without a starting pitcher getting a win. And at some point, you just need to get that monkey off your back so people stop talking about it. You know, even if the A's go another 33 games without getting a win from a starting pitcher, which they didn't, they got one. Ken Waldachuk followed it up the next day. But even if you win another streak of 33 games, people aren't talking about, well, they haven't gotten a win all season long. Hasn't happened yet. So you just got to do it at some point. So people shut up about it. And, you know, it was nice for the A's to finally get that monkey off their back. Now, does it mean they're on their way to a 20-game win streak? Not necessarily. But you just, at some point, it is nice to just have that relief, that sigh that's like, okay, we don't have to think about that anymore. But it also doesn't mean that they aren't on their yeah, main that 20-game win streak. So who knows? It starts somewhere. Um, but no, it's great to finally see the the uh, starting pitchers getting some results to back it up. Uh, we know that the year was a struggle for the starters to get through some innings. Then we started seeing some good outings, and with the pitchers couldn't get the result, couldn't get the, the quality outing and get that win. And so it was really, really exciting to watch Mason Miller go out and go seven uh, hitless innings and really dominating there. Um and then it got frustrating, right, for another reason, uh, which has still been uh, the thorn in the side there, and that's the the bullpen. So um, to see that the the starters finally got a win, like you said, it, it was definitely a talking point. That's been great, and it's two in a row now. Not just two wins, but two wins for starters. So um, definitely off to a, a nice start here with this series, and and hopefully that uh, they can take some of that momentum for the rest of this series and into New York. Yeah, I think at this point, you know, you're not as concerned about the the results being wins and losses. You obviously want to see that. It's a results-based business. But I think what you're looking for right now is who can I rely on? Who's building some consistency, even if it's small, that I know 
I can expect this every time I put them out there. And the A's shuffled up their bullpen big time this week. You know, they brought in three new pitchers from AAA, and essentially the idea was like, we can't keep having this meltdown every single time. And a guy like Domingo Acevedo, who last year was kind of filling in for that old, you know, Yusmero Petit role where it was like break in case of emergency. We're going to bring him in. And, you know, he was out there, I think, 70 appearances for the A's last year. And this year, you know, he's just not been able to repeat that, which is, you know, something you see a lot with bullpen guys and a lot of that up year, that down year. And, you know, he's been dealing with a little bit of a nagging injury, but you just can't go through these motions every single time. And the A's making a big shift because, you know, they are looking for their bullpen to see who can get a role. Right now, there's only one guy I think that Mark Kotze trusts, and that's Zach Jackson. And I know it didn't end well. You know, he had the the blown save uh, in the series before this uh, series against the Royals. And, you know, that's what happens because you're running these guys out there all the time, every single day. You're trying to find these roles for some of these guys. Shintaro Fujinami has moved out to the bullpen. That's been a bit of a mixed bag. You know, you're not quite sure what you can have. I think it's really Zach Jackson and Sam Mole are the only two guys that you're trusting that, like, this is who I believe is going to go out there and get the job done. I know what they're going to give me pretty consistently. And the big one for the A's, especially with their bullpen, the walks. These walks have just been so killer. These self-inflicted wounds where you go out there and it's like, we just put it in play. We'd rather get beat with them smacking the ball around the yard than you giving three walks in an inning because you watch how the A's are struggling and it's three walks and a single and it's two runs. But that's because you've walked everybody. Even these wins where they've gotten, you know, pretty good amount of run support there, you know, the the wins are turning out to be kind of close. You know, I, I don't want to be too negative here. Uh, I'm try, I've tried. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah we'll you be positive. We're today, today. You know, but... Um, like you were saying, the focus not really being on results and the things that we're talking about now, like, thankfully, we got some wins. Thankfully, we got some uh, W's for the pitchers, because one of the things we've continued to talk about is wondering what's the climate like in that clubhouse. And if you keep struggling to get the wins, if you keep uh, having veterans struggle to get results and young guys are coming out, you know, um, we're having Miller go seven innings and no hits. Then you wonder, are frustrations going to start to boil over? Is, are we going to, is this going to get from bad to ugly? And so thankfully there are some wins here. Obviously it's just some duct tape on some cracks, uh, but that's kind of what you're getting used to see from a team that plays at the Coliseum. So uh, I, I'm trying to focus on the good, happy to see the wins um, and, and hopefully, Really hoping that this can just continue into the next series with the Yankees. You know, I'll be the negative guy here because I was looking up the stats and, and there is some positive. Well, I do want to talk about like the emergence of these young players, the rookies that have really stepped out. You've been talking about Mason Miller, who, you know, probably the most exciting rookie the A's have. You got Ryan Noda and uh, Estuary Ruiz, who both really look like they are coming into their own the longer we're getting to watch them. But on the negative side, you're talking about these veteran players, and the A's have nine players under contract who they're paying more than a million dollars this season. Only one of them, Ramon Laureano, has a wins above replacement, the stat war, 
that is in the positive. It's 0.8 entering Sunday's game and Ramon's making $3.5 million. Jesus Aguilar is neutral, 0.0. He's making $3 million. So he and Ramon, that's $6.5 million for less than one win above replacement. And then, here's the killer one, the other veterans that you're talking about, $29.5 million out of a $58 million payroll for minus 4.8 wins above replacement. And wins above replacement, just for anybody who doesn't know, that's basically the readily available minor league player, the guy that you can come up, everybody has access to this guy, throw him in there basically, and how many wins are you worth over that guy, that just the any man and everything like that. And the A's are paying $29.5 million to veteran guys who are making this team worse, basically, by about five. You've got seven guys, the seven highest paid guys on this payroll, which is a low bar, are making this team five games worse. You know, like, that's what you're talking about with the struggles from those veterans. And that's the reason that I worry that frustrations could boil over, you know, because they know that too, you know. And and this is a game that historically people don't like to get showed up by people or or what they perceive to be someone showing him up. And that can even come in when you're a veteran who's supposed to be coming and producing and making literally millions on a team where not very many people are and not producing and taking a roster spot where a a guy's getting moved down to AAA and he's losing um, at-bats or it's one of these young, exciting players that the fans are excited to come up, but his his route is blocked right now. So that that's where I've been having concerns that this is going to go from bad to ugly. But luckily, we've gotten a couple of wins, and that's, that's yeah. where I'm focusing. Changing right the now. vibe, yeah. The game is open. <laughs> the win streak has begun. I'm riding it. Outside of the negativity from the, the vets, the, the positive side, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now, but... There's three guys that have really kind of emerged as that new block to kind of build off of, and it's Brent Rooker, Ryan Noda, and Estuary Ruiz. And we've been talking about it for a while, because Brent, the bane of Baltimore Rooker, because the way he jumped out in that series against the the Orioles, but he has proven to be more than a flash in a pan, and just a guy that got hot for one series. He's been a real force, a monster in the middle of this A's lineup in 27 games, He's hitting 330 with 10 homers and 26 RBI. This week, he got enough at-bats to qualify uh, for the league lead in stats and leading all of Major League Baseball in OPS that's on base and slugging percentage together is Brent Rooker. There's only eight players with an eight OPS over 1,000 entering Sunday, and Brent Rooker, the only player over 1,100, and doesn't hurt when you look at the list and you see Sean Murphy and Matt Chapman are right there in the top five, but Rooker leading the league in slugging percentage, and he's just really been a dominant force, and that's something that the A's can build on. If you've got a guy in the middle of that lineup, you can build your lineup when you've got a guy anchoring one spot, whether it's the leadoff spot like Ruiz has done. Now you got Rooker in the middle of that lineup. When you've got those spots lined up, it's way easier to build your lineup when you got some guys that you can count on. So, you know, going back to the beginning of the year when a lot of people thought that was the spot that Pache should have had, and to see him putting up that kind of production, it, it's great, but it's a little worrisome because now you're thinking he's going to play himself right on off this team. And so right on into the trade market. So that's uh, that's a little bit worrisome. So let's let's tone it down a little there, Brent. <laughs> but keep keep bringing it. 
people like to make it the one for one that it was either Brent Rooker or Christian Pache, but it was really three guys because the other guy, and this is where it gets a little bit uglier, is Connor Capel, who the A's sent down to the minor leagues. He was one of those three guys. The A's had two roster spots for three guys. They elected to trade Christian Pache because he was out of options. So if he wasn't on the opening day roster, they'd have to send him down to AAA or pass him through waivers. He's too talented a player. It wasn't going to happen. So they wound up making the trade with the Phillies. And even before Pache got hurt and he tore his meniscus, he's going to be out a little while. It wasn't looking like that good a deal because you didn't have to make that move. You could have had Christian Pache on your opening day roster and sent Connor Capel down to the minors. So you basically got a month of Connor Capel and sending out Christian Pache, who was part of the Matt Olson deal. Not really sure why the A's soured on him so much. I mean, I know he struggled with the bat a lot last year. His glove is obviously gold glove caliber. It's an elite glove. He made an adjustment in the winter leagues. We got to see that he had a very good spring. And then like we saw with the Phillies, he transitioned that. He was playing well, hitting well doing the things that he worked on, a young guy, you want to see them grow. You look around the major leagues about guys the A's have given up on way too early. Jorge Mateo, one of the best shortstops in baseball, playing with Baltimore right now. Christian Pache, so we could get a month of, and no offense, because, you know, Connor Capel has had his moments, but he's definitely struggled defensively. For a month of Connor Capel, you gave up Christian Pache, a guy that was you know, a former top 100 prospect. And the package that Pache came in, right? Like that was supposed to be the thing that softened the blow. And so to to see him already, the organization be like, okay, see you later. We're, we're out of here. It's uh, It is a little frustrating, right? Like he was supposed to be the big guy that we got in return there. And so... Um, and Langoliers, he and Langoliers, and- yeah. But he he's gone, you know, and so we're focusing on the good. And we had Rooker go out, have a, a great it's a week of reversal today. You and me <laughs> no, on night totally. And so that's why I'm bringing it back to Ruiz now. Who you know, back in the day, it was like with Miguel Tejada with the game on the line and a runner on first. You knew he was either gonna like hit a two run homer or he was gonna ground into a double play, right? With Ruiz, if there's a runner on second, it's a double into the corner. Like that's just what I expect from him now because so many times that's what I see. And then when he's on first and the jumps that he gets, it is just insane. And it's like, sometimes I'm like, oh, he went way too early. Like, they're they're going to pick him <laughs> off. He's doing a right yeah. nota here. Uh, but no, he totally makes it, right? And it's just really exciting. So he's swiping a lot of bases. Don't want to send some hate to Noda because I'm the positive one today. No, he's been a really, really exciting player. Great addition. Um, you know, the the trouble is you do worry with uh, the season that has been going so far that these guys are going to play themselves off the team, you know, because these are guys that you do want to see, um, that you want to see continue to develop and become that core uh, that hopefully can make a run for the, the playoffs, hopefully sooner than later. We'll focus on Ruiz for a second, because coming into this season, uh, Keith Lippman, used to be with the A's, said that Ruiz was the most complete prospect he'd ever seen. And he said that, uh, I think, to Chris Townsend on A's cast. I heard that relayed through that. And we heard Shea Langoliers, the A's catcher, talk about facing Ruiz in the minor leagues, and he called him a nightmare when he gets on base. And entering Sunday, Este Uri Ruiz, you got to make sure you say it all the way through, 
leading all of baseball with 16 stolen bases, only been caught one time. He started to cool off a little bit last week, but this week he caught fire again. He's hitting 360 with a 407 on base, including five stolen bases. And he's been a machine, like you said, with runners in scoring position. He's been the A's best hitter, hitting 441 with 15 RBI. He's not a power hitter, no homers, but a third of his hits with runners in scoring positions, like you said, it's been doubles. So that's why you get that impression about Ruiz. And the other rookie that has been earning rave reviews, the guy that King Korak has dubbed the notable Ryan Noda, leading all American League rookies in the money bag stat. What does he do? Gets on base. Four, Gets on base. Yeah, 427 on base percentage for Ryan Noda. Also fifth in OPS on base and slugging percentage at 915. And I think with both of these guys, we watched some struggles happen, Rick. They, they had some early success, then some struggles. And when a guy's struggling, you watch to see what happens next. Does it become like a prolonged thing, or do they start to look comfortable? And with both Ruiz and Ryan Noda, I really think you're watching guys come into their own. You know, Ryan Noda's not a young player by age standpoints. He's getting his first, he's a rookie, but he's coming in at 27 years old. Usually guys have made it a little further by that age. But now that he's getting that run, he looks like he's doing what he did in the minor leagues. He's getting comfortable. He's hitting, seeing a lot of pitches, still striking out a little bit. But, you know, he got his first hit with a runner in scoring position in that series against the Angels before heading out to Kansas City. And that really seemed like it unlocked him, like it broke through, like we were talking about with the starting pitchers getting a win. Once you do it, nobody has to talk about it again. You can just go about being yourself. So what would you do if you had the keys and uh, you were in charge of the A's right now and you are seeing these young I'd players? I'd build a ballpark in Oakland. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I'm talking uh, roster-wise. You've got these young players that are coming up that are earning their spot. And, and look at Rooker, like not even just earning their spot, like running the show here. And you've got guys in AAA that are banging on the door. And you've got some veterans that are kind of appearing to be dead weight. What do you do if you've got the keys? Yeah, I think if you're the A's, you're getting to that point where you're just going to have to make those kind of changes like they did in the bullpen. Like you're only going to get so much room out there if you're a guy like, you know, Jace Peterson, who's been struggling, but it does have a track record. You know, Aletmus Diaz is another guy. I know he's on the injured list right now. You know, like there has to be some context for why you're struggling. And at some point, the A's are going to concede that, like, we're going to lose 100 games this year. So is it better to just run these guys out there? Or is it better to have a guy come into his own and struggle with these young guys, which we're watching the way the A's are stacking their lineup right now? It's Ruiz and Noda and Rooker stacked together. Then you've got Loriano and however they want to mix it up there, Langoliers, but it's it's more fun, and I think you're more invested in a fan if you're watching a product develop that you know has a future. As far as on field, you know, a guy like Ruiz is more fun to watch, even when he's struggling, than say Jace Peterson, you know, or Letmus Diaz, who by the time these turn it around and hopefully get good again on the field, probably not going to be on this roster, you know, like despite everything that he's done. I'd rather watch those guys like Tyler Soderstrom or like Nick Allen out there. You know, even Kevin Smith, you want to watch and see what these guys can do because Kevin Smith is a great example of that. I mean, this is a guy that he's got in the Matt Chapman deal. He started the year in AAA, hit five homers in the first seven games. He's been back and forth, and now the A's are, have him up. He's been playing a little third base and a little shortstop, but hasn't really hit that well. But I'd rather see him get a chance to struggle over a long stretch and see if 
he can eventually do what he's done in the minor leagues and figure it out and hit. Then, you know, see a guy like Jace Peterson who's had a nice career, but doesn't seem to fit too well with this A's other than being kind of that veteran and maybe providing some mentorship, which is a lot harder to do when you're hitting, you know, 198 or something like that. So we've kind of seen some of these young guys come up and just totally perform like they were were doing previously. Um, Miller, we talked about. You were on the Miller hype train way early. Um, Miller time, baby. Uh, super pumped about him. And then, you know, we were like, okay, that was one showing in AAA. Came out and did uh, seven innings, no hit. Uh, really uh, a great contest to watch. The other guy, also named Miller, was throwing a perfect game through six. Um, but one of the things we talked about coming up was, what's that going to do for the pitcher's confidence if they do come up, they do deliver, and then the rest of the team botches it? And that was an absolute perfect example of that with Miller going seven innings of hitless baseball. He was at 100 pitches. Um, I think the conversation is that he's kind of been at 80 because, you know, he is new to professional baseball. And so in some ways wanting to save his arm, but then to have a, a no hitter through seven, you could probably go out and do some more. You know, he wants to, um, uh, but you know, the manager maybe goes to protect your arm and then five pitches later, it, it's all over, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was one of the things we talked about. We've seen that happen. What, what do you think on that? Because I know some of the threads I saw online where people, Miller's got to be so mad right now. Uh, I saw a lot of negativity towards Kotze, you know, and I, I actually like Kotze, and I know I think he's doing the best with the tools that he has, and he's a young manager. Um, but what, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's why the A's made that wholesale change in the bullpen, like that exactly for that game is like, hey, man, we just, we can't have five guys that you can't trust out there just because we want to see if they can turn it around. And, you know, another option that we may see the A's get into are some guys that are starters in the minor leagues, maybe getting a call up to, you know, start cutting their teeth at the big league level in a bullpen role. And a guy that we saw make a start, I think it was last week, Luis Mendina made a start. He's one of the players the A's got back in the uh, trade with the Yankees when they sent Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino. And, you know, he was okay. You could see the velocity was up there. He throws 100 miles an hour, but he struggled with control. And that's something we've seen him do in the minor leagues. But maybe you get him in for an inning or two, and that's a potential closer. And you can start building some consistency until, you know, knock on wood that Trevor May is able to come back. And Danny Jimenez, like the guys the A's were really expecting to shorten games. So if they could get five or six innings from their starters, which they've started to do more consistently, that you were be you're going to be able to hand it off to Zach Jackson, Danny Jimenez, and Trevor May, and that's six, seven, eight, done. So we just got to worry about the first six innings from our starter. So I think you may see the A's be more aggressive in trying to fill those roles, and you know, not being as passive to see if a guy like maybe Adam Aller can just kind of like click or something like that. Maybe an Adrian Martinez, and you start to see these guys starting to fill it up because. You bring up Mason Miller, who was pitching on Sunday, and you know he this is his fourth start. He's already the second best pitcher by wins above replacement the A's have had in four games. Zach Jackson is number one, Mason Miller number two, and then I think it's Sam Mole and J.P. Sears are right there. But of the guys that the A's had on their, the pitchers the A's had on their opening day roster, 
I mean, J.P. Sears and Zach Jackson, pretty much the only guys, and Sam Mole, the only guys that are doing what the A's were expecting. That's three out of 13. The other 10 not carrying the load. And we've seen some guys turn it around, but over the opening day roster, that's not what you're hoping for. <laughs> you know? I know uh, I've heard Dallas Braden talking about it and saying, you know, and you as well, when your starter doesn't go out and you're relying on the bullpen, you're really needing five guys to go out and have a good day. And at first I was like, yeah, it's a team game. You got to hope five guys can go out and have a good day. Uh, but then you got to consider the actual state of affairs. And you really do just have to hope a lot of times five guys yeah. are going to go out and have a good day. The A's starting pitching has really started to turn it around. And it's changed a little bit. I mean, Ken Waldachuk got the the win the other day. It wasn't a great start, but, you know, Mark Kotze trusted him to go back out there and have an inning. And, you know, he gave up four runs, which is fine. You can live with that. It wasn't like, you know, going out and giving four runs in one inning and just having the wheels fall off the bus. But you're more consistently seeing these guys give you five good innings every single time. And that was the big issue that they had early in the season. You remember, you just had too many guys going out there three and four innings and giving up eight and ten runs. And it was just, it was just, you couldn't recover from it. it. Didn't matter what anybody else was doing. It was just deflating, and so now they start turning that around. And now you got another leak. You got to plug. That's the bullpen. You know, like when are they going to be able to put it all together? Well, they're a young team. They are hoping that some of these talented guys help them turn that around because you're not looking for them as much as we're to joke about the 20 game win streak. You're just looking to be a lot closer to 500. You know, you don't want to like. You don't want to be the last team in baseball to get to double-digit wins. And they were trending that way. They might still be that team, but, you know, this series against the Royals gives you at least a little hope that maybe you can make Kansas City the last team to get to double-digit wins. When those pitching struggles were happening and the starters were barely making it, you know, three, four innings, I had a thought that, you know what, it, it, and when Fuji was doing, you know, just Saturday, six days rest, and, you know, we, it can really get ugly in an inning. You know, we, we saw that, but we were still... We've seen that a lot. We've seen year. that, right? So I, I had this thought, and I was like, you know what? They got to make these starters go out and just throw 100 pitches no matter what. I don't care. You're going out. You're throwing 100 pitches. Then we saw what happened to Mason Miller, and I didn't like that plan anymore. Um, I definitely <laughs> wanted them to exceed 100 pitches. Um, and uh, I'm just hopeful that he can ride that momentum. And you start to wonder, like, what else could you have done, you know, to go out and not get a decision when you're dealing like that? Well, I guess you couldn't have walked those four guys, but it's like he was out there dealing. And so... Uh, hopefully he even said that after the game, like that's why you love Mason Miller is like he threw seven no hit innings and all he could talk about was four walks. That's the, that's that kind of like, that's what you want is like that kind of perfectionist. that's like, yeah, you know, it was okay, but I did screw up four times. Was that mentality that you can always improve. You can always get better. And the ownership that it's, it's on you. It's not that. You know, oh, the umpire made some bad calls, you know. Uh, you, sorry, when you said ownership, I was like, well, that's not really what I'm saying. Yeah, no, is. definitely. <laughs> so let's get into that. What what news do you have out of Las Vegas for us? So I do have some Vegas news. I mean, it's been another week, and this is going to be, I think, kind of the consistency is like, you just got to brace yourself that it's going to swing both ways, good and bad, and uh, mixed reviews 
for what's coming out of Vegas. We did get some quotes from the Democratic leadership from the Nevada state legislature saying that the A's have yet to present any concrete proposal for their plan and what they're planning to ask for for the proposed ballpark in Vegas. He also added that the project of this size, usually they have the proposal submitted already in order for it to be considered because there is a deadline coming up next month. Now, it's not a hard deadline because the governor could still call for a special session after the legislature heads out on break. Nevada's governor, Joe Lombardo, has come out in support of the A's moving to Vegas, and, you know, that makes sense. You know, he's a governor of a state who doesn't want more professional sports teams coming to their state. But the interesting one, one of his biggest donors for that last election owns the property right across the street from where the A's proposed ballpark is. And so I used to work with Gary Radnich on KMBR, and Gary used to always say famously, follow the money. Where is the money going? And you're seeing the governor saying that, you know, he wants the legislature to get this done. You know, if they have to do a special session, they'll do a special session, but he wants to get this done. And then you look and see that one of the people that's going to benefit his biggest, one of his biggest financial donors. So when you think about the news and you're hearing it both good and bad for whether the A's are going to stay or leave, consider your source and consider what their motivation might be. You know, like we have heard from Dave Cavill and a lot of people know that you can't believe the words that are coming out of his mouth because it might not be backed with what his real motivation is. And that's the same thing for, you know, it's a joke on it, obviously for politicians, but you know, when a politician says something, what's the real motivation behind it? It's not really how they think or feel, you know, it might be somebody is uh, greasing the skids a little bit, and that might be happening in Las Vegas. It's kind of like anything, right? Like, uh, it, it, and even politics, right? It, the left is going to say this, the right's going to say this, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, right? And uh, so uh, it, it's probably the same, I'm thinking, with Las Vegas. You see some people, still, it's a done deal, you know, and, and for sure. And more and more, you see the language in, in news saying, like, proposed move and things like that. So it seems like it is still somewhere in the middle. I'll be honest, I still haven't put an A's hat on. Um, I've seen the A's have now made announcements that there's a $99 summer pass. Um, and honestly... Uh, that is something in the past I would have definitely jumped on, right? Um, I think it was like 37 games for 99 bucks. $2.68 a game before taxes is what you're going to be you paying. You can't beat that, you know? And I was just, you know, saying last podcast, give us some discounts and we'll show up. But without... A's listen, A's listen, confirmation that the A's I are listening so. to the Winner uh, Hughes podcast. Without that confirmation that they are staying here or that they are back to negotiating with Oakland... You know, I, I, I didn't find myself rushing to get that like I would have previously. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was the first email that I got talking about that said, um, sign up and we will have a wait list. And then the next email I got said, sign up. It's only available for a limited time. And so I was like, oh, what happened to your wait list? Is it not filling up as quickly as you thought it was? Yeah. Um. They did offer another one that because I, I do want to get back out there. I do want to take the kids out there. I'm obviously still following the team, but they have one that I think it's like kids are free on Sundays or something like that. On Sundays, you get two free kid tickets. Yeah. And then also, 
I believe with the deal, it's like Tuesdays you can take your dog to the ballpark and bark yeah, in the park. Yeah, I'm not Tuesday. doing that. I'll I'll keep my dog sitting home. Um, <laughs> but maybe they want them to. Maybe they're doing that because they want the dogs to come and chase the feral cats away from the coliseum, maybe. or maybe chase the the mitt the possum. That, that the makes sense. Out of the- you know, I used to think that they did free parking as a thank you to the fans, but then I was like, no, they do it, <laughs> so not pay the parking attendant. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense with the bark in the park. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just little- like they were like. I'm sorry. What what was that? The exterminator said it's going to cost how much? No, no, no. Just we're going to do bark in the park and uh, you bring your dog for free. Yeah. I'm going to put a plug here. Go back to buying online parking passes, three of them for 30 bucks. Go back to that, like 30 bucks to just leave your car there. It's it's ridiculous. One other thing you talked about getting back out there. I didn't know if you saw the latest uh, ploy by the last dive bar to come out there. They They've been posting tomatoes on their social media accounts and you're kind of thinking like, okay, what's going on with the, uh, the tomato? Well, they're going to have people go out there for the game on Friday when the A's are back. They're going to have cutouts of John Fisher, Dave Cavill, and Rob Manfred. Bring your own tomato from what I understand, but you can go out there and they're going to have a barbecue going out there and you can throw tomatoes at these villains. Kind of like just the old way of doing things, you know, like, bringing out the rotten fruit and throwing it at the people that you despise and the last dive bar bringing that out for uh, the game on Friday. It's pretty interesting uh, because it, it's just such a different thing than like European soccer, which I, I, you know, try and follow and I've got buddies that follow that. But the team, they're just so much more connected to the town. And so when you have fans that are upset at ownership, like it's the same thing you see in some of these uh, European clubs that they, they do these kind of, um, you know, these movements, these grassroots movements, whether they wear alternative colors, um, you know, Manchester United announced they were going to join a super league and their fans stormed the stadium, you know, so these coordinated efforts. And I'm glad to see that we're getting those coordinated efforts, right? Like we don't own the team, but this is our team, you know, and we love this team. Uh, and, you know, people want it, even if they're leaving people are like, well, it should belong to Oakland, you know, we, there are these deep connections. And so I just really love seeing the grassroots efforts of, of people banding together to either come up with protest ideas um you know the the reverse uh boycott excited for that but, and ways that they're trying to make it accessible to people that would otherwise not be able to like um last dive bar using the proceeds for their shirt to buy tickets for people so any of these grassroots things i i just you know makes me proud to be part of this community talk about that organized effort watching the game on sunday the a's and royals game and sitting behind home plate is mason miller's pitching you got a guy in a green cell shirt just sitting there in kansas city which you know brings up a lot of memories because that's obviously a place that the a's used to play and before they relocated to oakland and Philadelphia got a team after the A's left. Kansas City has a team after the A's leave. If the A's leave Oakland, I seriously doubt that Oakland will have a team, and that is just heartbreaking news. And speaking of heartbreaking news, before we uh, wrap up here, I did want to uh, talk a little bit about something that happened on Sunday. We got the unfortunate news that Vita Blue had passed away, uh, and that was just a sad way to wake up because... This was a guy that you and I, you know, born in the 80s, we didn't watch Vita Blue pitch that much. You know, we didn't watch him pitch because he was pitching until, you know, I think I was like two years old by the time he retired. 
but you'd heard the stories about him. He was this like mythical figure and you'd heard about what an incredible person that he was. The 1971 season, this like fame season where he was 24 and 8 with a 1.82 ERA, 312 innings pitched, struck out 301, won the MVP and the Cy Young in 1971. I did get a chance to meet him a few times and work with him a handful of times. And man, I just got to tell you, it was, he lit up a room, every room that he walked into. And he had this incredibly charming personality that you heard about him. Everybody wanted to be friends with this guy, but he had this personality and charm that made you feel like you actually knew him. Even if you had just a short interaction and like, I was in the press box at the Giants game with Eric Burns and Eric walked in and he introduced me to Vida Blue the first time. And he's like, Vida, this is uh, Joe Hughes. And he goes, Vegas, Joe Hughes. And I was just like blown away. Like I barely remember the rest of the interaction because the whole time in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, Vida Blue knows who I am. Like just such a trip. And, you know, it was a, a sad thing for A's fans to wake up because this is one of those legendary figures in A's franchise and baseball fran- in baseball, but for the A's uh, franchise specifically. You know, like you said, Bida Blue was kind of before my time where I was watching games, but the first time I heard the name Bida Blue was watching the cartoon on Nickelodeon Rugrats. And the grandpa was chain, trading baseball cards. He's like, I'll give you one bite of blue. And then remember growing up, and I remember that name, and then hearing that he was a pitcher on the A's. And I was like, what? This is awesome. <laughs> I saw that in a, a cartoon. And that's just another thing that's great to be an A's fan, a part of this community that supposedly doesn't have enough fans. But you constantly see A's things in, in mainstream media things, whether TV shows. Somebody I saw a post about uh, a French movie and the main characters wearing a Bash Brothers shirt and things like that. And so, you know, it, it's just great to be uh, a part of that community. I'm sorry for Vida's uh, family and, you know, just so many things to celebrate him and, and just about the A's in general. It was uh, somber news to hear on Sunday, but... Rick, it was always good talking with you. This is the Win or Hughes podcast. New episodes debut every Monday. Make sure to find them wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Win or Hughes. You can follow me at Vegas Joe Hughes. And we'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening to the Win or Hughes podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe.